Hey, welcome to Infuse Church Online. My name is Taylor, and I'm one of the pastors here. Today, we're kicking off a brand new series called In the Meantime, where we're talking about the seasons in our lives, the situations in our lives that we'd rather not be in. Maybe through some decision of our own or something out of our control. And we wonder, is God really there? Is God going to help us out? And what do we do in the meantime? Stick around. Because for the next four weeks, um, we are going to be diving into the not ideal, the not good, the not great moments of our lives. Now, before we do, though, I want to um, put a couple disclaimers out there um, because uh, this is going to get, for some of you, especially um, if you have a lot of these meantime seasons in your life, and I'll explain what that means in a second, um, this could stir up a lot of stuff for you. And I've realized um, over the years that we've done this, especially when we get into some of the more heavier topics, um, that uh, sometimes it can bring some things up that we didn't even know were there, and it could kind of derail uh, where we were in our lives. And um, our tendency is sometimes um, to uh, react in maybe not necessarily the best of way, but maybe the best way that we know how. And so I want to disclaimer uh, three things. Um, the first is uh, that I am just a pastor. I'm not a therapist, um, though I have taken some therapy classes, that does not qualify me to talk about the most in-depth um, psychological things that may be going on. Um, however, we do have a list of recommended um, counselors in the Iowa City area. If that is ever you or you ever need that, um, I've, I've said it before and I'll say it many, many times, hopefully in the future I won't forget to say it, um, that I don't think uh, therapy is a sign of weakness. I think it's you're making a choice to engage with some of the toughest moments and things going on in your life or in your relationships, okay? So we have that. Um, the second thing I want to do is disclaim um, that uh, this is a short series for a very big topic, okay? So I'm not going to be able to get to it all, if you will, in this amount of time. And there is a lot here. There's a lot of context that I'm hoping that you can kind of fill in as we go through here, and I hope, I hope honestly just makes sense. And finally, um, that before you walk, we talk, and so if your response to our message today or in the next couple weeks is to, I have to avoid this, I got to walk away, or I'm just going to leave the church altogether, I hope that you would at least reach out so we, I could buy you coffee and we could talk about it, not to convince you not to do it, but at least so that you and I can understand each other um, and that we can at least have an opportunity to grow out of it, okay? So those are my three disclaimers, and I'll, I'll talk about them more as we carry on the series, okay? So I want to begin by explaining what in the world this means. In the meantime moments, these moments or seasons in our lives where we're kind of between two places, and those two places are a better past and at least a hope for a better future. And in between that are meantime moments, seasons, or circumstances where everything else in the past and the future looks better than where we are, and that we hope in that moment in the moment where literally everything else looks more ideal than where we are, um, that we would sit there and we would ask ourselves some really big questions that we're going to get to in this series. Um, and so trying to figure out in these moments, squeezed between two better circumstances, or at least what we believe are better circumstances, that we would be able to um, respond and act, hopefully in some ways that maybe are contrary to what we do currently. 
And so to begin, I want to highlight some examples of what meantime moments could be. And I think the easiest is to start talking about the meantime moments or seasons um, that involve other people. And I'm talking about, um, uh, for some of you, uh, it's been a divorce. You know, that is not something that generally we look at uh, fondly, not what we remember well or we think of highly. That is an ideal thing that any of us ever want to go through. And so um, those were definite seasons in our lives where we felt like, um, we hope at least, that the future would be better and the past probably was a little bit better at least a few years um, before then. Or maybe um, in, in some of your relationships, um, you, you sit there and you say, well, I could have or I should have and I didn't, and so now I found myself in a meantime set of circumstances. Or maybe in a relationship, a door shuts that we believe could have gone differently, and we hope that it would have gone differently, but at least for the time being, there's not going to be any wiggle room there. That door is just shut, and we feel like we're stuck, and we don't exactly know what to do or how exactly to respond. Or for the parents in the room, um, this happens, unfortunately, all too often, that you teach your kids as best as you know how, right? You teach them the things that matter, like responsibility, right? Taking ownership for our life and how it impacts others from our last series, I Don't Want It, which is on the front of your program, so I thought I'd highlight it, <laughs> okay? Um, but taking responsibility. But then they come to a moment in their teenage years or their adult life where you just sit there and you're like, I taught you responsibility, and yet you're behaving completely opposite of what I taught. And there's really nothing that you know you try, but there's nothing at the end of the day that you can really do about it, and you feel stuck. You teach them that grades are important, but they don't make them a priority. You teach them to take initiative, but they don't, and they just walk away from opportunities. Or you teach them to respect and love their spouse, but they don't. Or, better yet, they find a spouse that you don't approve of, and now you found new relatives and, uh, and uh, in-laws and all that stuff that you weren't expecting you would ever have to deal with or be with. And you sit somewhere in here. And maybe that's not right now for you, and maybe it is. And if it is for right now, this could be even more challenging. But there are certainly times in your past, or there will certainly be times in your future, where you are stuck in a meantime moment. And I think as we look at meantime moments, we also have to acknowledge the worst meantime moments. And those are those that are permanent. The loss or losing someone you care about. It's the accident that really wasn't your fault or there really wasn't you can, anything you could do about it, but it has made a permanent difference in your life or your family. Or the cancer diagnosis or the Alzheimer's diagnosis or that rare genetic disease that you didn't expect, but it's there, and it's not going anywhere. Or the injury or the illness that you suffer that's debilitating, or it's chronic, or something you lost in your health, and you know it will likely never come back. Or perhaps the worst permanent meantime moments are those that we got ourselves into that it really was in our control, and we made the decision that we now regret. And it has permanent consequences for our lives, and there are no solutions to be had. Maybe there are options. I mean, we've got to be honest, in the, in the world in which we live now, uh, there's more and more options, more and more treatments. So there, are, there is a little bit of hope here and there, but for the most part, it's a little out of reach. And it's not ideal, 
and we're stuck in the meantime moment. So what do you do? What have you done in your past when you're stuck in a meantime moment? You could, as we just mentioned, or I just mentioned, you could run, right? You could quit your job. You could abandon your family. You could drink yourself under the table. You could um, self-medicate, right? You can find enough distractions, and I think that's probably something many of us here this morning are guilty of, finding as many distractions as we can so we don't have to face the fact that we really are in a meantime set of circumstances. And we can do that. We also know behind that it's probably going to create more issues down the road, but at least in the short term, it provides us some relief. The other thing we do in these moments, um, we compare. We compare. We look at other people, and we say, man, if I had a life like that, things would be different. Or I deserve a life like that. Or you look at another family or another person or another relationship and you envy that to the point where you feel like, in comparison, you have started to go backwards. And maybe it's just because you stayed at the same place and they've moved forward, but you just feel farther and farther away from where you want to be. And what happens in those moments that we've talked about so often is you become bitter, you become resentful, and honestly, I think it's fair to say there's a little bit of shame involved. You feel ashamed. And you can try to pretend your way out of it. You can get busy. You can tell lies all you want. You can get yourself into debt to try to fix the problem. But at the end of the day, it just ends up creating more issues. And so I want to give you at least a first step this morning in a direction that will not cause more issues or create more issues for you and perhaps begin to bring you a little bit closer to healing and growth in the midst of this. Now, I got to be honest, because as I was thinking about this, um, I'm thinking about my own life, and I'm thinking about stories that you have shared with me over coffee or or lunch or dinner, and um, I thought about what a lot of us do in the midst of meantime moments, whether we intend to do it or we don't intend to do it, it just happens. And I'm going to be honest with you, um, this doesn't always help. And of course, I'm talking about when we go and we have a conversation or we talk to a Christian. Doesn't always help does it? Because, and you fill in the blank here, eventually in the conversation, they may get to the point, or maybe just like right off the bat, they may get to the point where they just said, well, you know what? You just have to, yep, perfect, pray about it. Or just pray a little harder, just pray a little bit more. And you look at them and you're like, I have been. May not have for the last 20 years, but I am certainly now. And nothing's changing. And then maybe they go on to tell you a story about prayer and how prayer has impacted their life. And it's one of those stories where it really doesn't help. In fact, it probably makes it worse. Like they talk about how they got up in the morning and they were really, really busy and they were trying to get out the door, get the kids out the door, okay. And then they got in the car and they realized they lost their phone. And they're looking around and they can't find it, right? And so, so to make themselves feel better, they of course go and get Starbucks because that's what every good Christian does. And they get their latte and they're walking out to their car and they trip and they fall and they spill their latte everywhere. But they got to get to work so it's too late and it's just a complete mess. And so they get to work and they borrow a friend's phone. And, and so they tell you how they, they call their husband and their husband is, he is just the nicest guy. He listens. 
He cares for you, right? And he says, you need to pray about it, honey. And, and oh, it just makes you feel so good. He's such a wholesome guy. And at this point, you're really starting to dislike this person, okay? And, and, and then they say, and I prayed about it. I sat there pretty much for the rest of the day. That's all I did at work. I prayed about it. And then I got out to my car, and guess what? My phone was on the roof. And the Lord, the Holy Spirit, just kept it there the whole day, all through my crazy driving, right? And you know what? Because of that, I believe you just need to pray about it, <laughs> right? And you think to yourself, that is, boy, I have words for you, <laughs> right? And I think, though, as I thought to even before I got into ministry, even as the, at the beginning stages of ministry for me or being a pastor for me, I probably wasn't the best help. And I think if that has ever been you, you kind of got to cut a little bit of slack to Christians because we don't talk about meantime moments of life all too often. We know that the right answer is to just have faith. We know the right answer is to just pray. But sometimes that just doesn't cut it and we need more. And that, in part, is why I thought it would be worth talking about this so that we could move ourselves beyond that to understand this and understand God a little bit more deeply. Because, to be honest with you, until I got into this series, until I did a little self-study, and I'm still jumping into grief. In fact, this whole year for me, um, some of the books that I'm reading have to do with grief and suffering, and how do we process through that. Uh, And I have a lot to learn, I'll be honest. But, But my hope is to help you to understand God a little bit better. Because I think at the end of the day, whether you're Christian or not, at some point, if it goes on long enough, if the meantime moment goes on long enough, you turn at some point to God. You turn away from the Christians and you turn to God. Even if you're not a Christian, come on, we talked about this. There's a point where you pray. God, if you're there, God, if you care, this is a perfect time, God, to prove that you exist. But then God doesn't do anything, at least in the first 24 hours after you prayed. And it's kind of like disappointing because God, I mean, if Amazon can get me a package in 48 hours, you'd think God could take care of your problem in less than 24. And then we end up justifying our disbelief or our doubts or ultimately the fact that we walked away from God because we didn't hear anything. And I think that's where we begin to tell ourselves lies that we need to acknowledge this morning. That we go to when we're in a meantime moment and God's not responding. We just believe or we think or we wonder, God, are you absent? God, have you left the building? Are you out to lunch? Maybe you were never involved in the first place. To be honest, God, I don't even know, okay? Because obviously you're not responding now, so when are you going to respond? Or we go to God is angry, right? And you grew up in a church of fire and brimstone, so this is kind of natural to you where it tended a little bit more Old Testament, um, less grace, more truth, just kind of hard-hitting, angry kind of stuff, okay? And so um, you just think, you know, God must be angry at you for a sin or something you did wrong, okay? And now, now he's punishing you, and that's just how it goes, and so you just have to suffer. Or maybe that God is apathetic, and the only reason I went with apathetic is, well, I like the word, but it also starts with an A. But essentially, if you don't know what it is, it doesn't care. God just doesn't care. And I think this is the worst of all, that God could do something, but he doesn't. And I think when we get upset with other people, we get upset with the people in our lives, 
who in those meantime moments could do something, but they don't. And this is where we focus a lot of our anger, and I think this is where we are most tempted to walk away from God or to justify our disbelief of God. And so before we move on, though, I I just want us to be honest for a second. This is going to be kind of like a, a man in the mirror kind of a moment here, okay? Because I think for most of us, in fact, I'm pretty sure for all of us, For us to think of God as angry, apathetic, or just completely absent is a little bit hypocritical. Because there's probably been a time, or a weekend, or an evening, or party, or a date, when the last thing on your mind was the presence of the Lord. In fact, what you are about to do would make you really uncomfortable if the presence of the Lord was presence, present in that room, or at that bar, or at that game, or wherever you were. You were not thinking to yourself, Lord, uh, I'm about to sin, so before I do, I just want to invite you into my life, right? You don't do that. You don't turn up the Christian radio, you know, Life 10, whatever it is, you know, and just like, I just gotta, before I sin, I just gotta worship the Lord, and maybe, maybe for you, it was like intentional sin. Like you had booked it. You had bought flights. You had reserved it. You had put it on ice. You had stuffed it under the chair in your car. You're hoping the cops don't pull you over, but it was there, right? I mean, in the last moment, the last thing you're doing is like singing, okay? You are not singing, oh, you are good, good father, you know, knowing what is in the vehicle with you. You didn't want God present then. But funny, you want him present now. And what I think is so incredible about our Heavenly Father is that in spite of your and my hypocrisy in those moments, well, the last thing we wanted present was the presence of God. God still loves us. God still cares for us. Despite the fact that we have used God as a commodity for our convenience, And in so doing, been a hypocrite when we go before him and we pray, even if we don't even believe that he is there when we pray and commit hypocrisy. In spite of that, God still loves you. And we know that because John 3.16 says, God so loved the world, not just the Christians, not just the good people, not just the behaving people. He loved the world that he gave his only son. And he gave his only son so he could let his anger out, his disappointment out, his hurt out on our sin out on his son. And he loves you so much that he did that for you. And he loves you so much that even though you and I are in those moments being a complete hypocrite, He's there to listen. He's there to listen. And so, just what I do, I'm not saying you have to do this, this is what I do. When I'm in a meantime season of life, I, I won, I look at the mirror, and I said, what in, in my control did I have to do with this situation? Before I go and start pointing fingers 
and my Heavenly Father. And then the second thing I do, which is what we're going to do next, is I go to the B-I-B-L-E, okay, I pull that thing out, and I look around first for what Jesus maybe had to say on this particular topic or this season or this meantime moment in my life. And I don't know if you've ever done that, but when I do that, it tends to be exceptionally helpful. Because Jesus addresses a lot of stuff. In fact, we talk about them every single Sunday. Most Sundays we talk about Jesus. Sometimes we skip around, do other things, but Jesus for the most part. And so our story today, surprise, surprise, is what we do in those moments, of those meantime moments. Jesus has a new perspective for us. In fact, the story I'm going to tell, something you might be familiar with, has a conclusion that you're probably not. And maybe you heard it, but it just kind of went in one ear and out the other. But I don't know about you, but for me, it was a complete game changer. And how I looked at Jesus and how I looked at God in context of my meantime moments. And so the story begins, the story is centered around a man named John um, the Baptist, and he wasn't a Baptist as in part of the denomination of Baptists, okay? That didn't come till thousand plus years later, okay? He was John the Baptizer. Why? Because he baptized people. P.S., if you want to sign up for baptism, you can go through our website, infused.church/baptism. okay? They're going to come up here in a couple months, and so if that's maybe your next step, you should check that out. And I talk about John the Baptist. If you go to our website, there's a whole sermon that talks about John the Baptist and when he was baptizing people, and it could be really helpful, okay? But before Jesus began his ministry, there was John the Baptist, and he was the big guy on campus. Everybody knew John. Everybody loved John, okay? And John's at the Jordan River. He's baptizing people, okay? Jesus shows up, John points at Jesus and says, everybody, you need to follow that guy. Jesus is the lamb who will take away the sin of the world. Go to Jesus. He's in charge now. And so John kind of transfers authority and transfers his influence over to Jesus, and then Jesus' ministry explodes, even greater than John's ministry. And then Luke documents this exchange between John and Jesus in Luke chapter 7, if you want to follow along. It's also in Matthew chapter 11. Um, But Luke, the doctor, the physician, tells us the story of John's followers hitting Jesus up for a very important question and answer session. John's disciples, so John has followers, okay, just like Jesus had followers. John had followers told him about all these things. They told him about um, how uh, Jesus' ministry was exploding and what Jesus was doing, okay? So he told him all about it. John hears about it. And so John goes to his disciples, calling two of them. He sent them to the Lord to ask. So he's asking Jesus, are you the one, the Messiah, who is to come? Are you the Son of God? Or should we expect someone else? Which is a really interesting question if you think about it, because John the Baptist, remember, he just pointed at Jesus and said, he is the Messiah. He's the one. You should follow him. And then a few chapters later, he's going back to Jesus via his disciples and saying, time out, are you really the one? So John, in the midst of this moment, is doubting Jesus. Doubting if it was right for him to put his faith in Jesus. Why is John in this moment doubting? Because John is in prison. John is in prison. Because John called out some political figures for their political and uh, relational misbehaviors, okay? And surprise, surprise, the politicians, the politicians got mad at him for doing it. 
makes you feel so good that 2,000 years later, we don't have those problems anymore, right? Anyways, John calls out the politicians, okay? Specifically, he's calling out this guy, King Herod Antipas. And, and you may know King Herod uh, Antipas. Um, he's the son of King Herod, the guy who killed the little um, children, and the boys in Bethlehem because of Jesus, okay? He, he was called Herod the Great, okay? And he has a son named King Herod, or, or excuse me, Herod Antipas, okay? Because everybody kind of had an ego back then, and so he named all of his kids Herod, okay? And Antipas actually shows up in the crucifixion of Jesus because um, in Luke's version, uh, Jesus goes to Pilate. Pilate sends him to Antipas. Antipas sends him back to Pilate, okay? So his name may ring a bell for you, okay? And so uh, John is attacking this guy before the crucifixion, okay? Because Herod Antipas also had a half-brother named Herod II or Herod Philip, all right? See the trend in the names, all right? Because Herod Philip had married these guys' niece. Getting weird. I get it, okay? So, married the niece, okay? He married the niece. And you'll never guess what her name was. Herodias, okay? Yeah, okay, very close. You could have said Herod, I don't know, whatever, okay. So, what happens is Philip goes on a long trip back to Rome, leaves Herodias. These two are hanging out, and they end up having an affair. Then they end up getting married, okay? He comes back and is like, whoa, where'd my niece go? And she's like, I went to the other uncle. It's super weird, okay? And if you were here for our series, Glove, Sex, and Dating, um, we talked about marriage in Rome uh, back in those days, and it was a complete, absolute disaster. And so um, John is essentially preaching against the fact that these two, three, all got this love triangle weird thing going on, okay? And surprise, surprise, Herodias does not like it very much. So she convinces her new husband, uncle, uncle? I don't know. That's the only thing you're going to remember from today, isn't it? I learned a new word, guys, in church is uncle. Okay. <laughs> going to cut this out of the video. Okay, the King Herod Antipas, <laughs> things I think about. Okay, King Herod Antipas gets King Herod Antipas to go get John, put him in prison. And he doesn't just put him in prison, he goes to this place called Machaerus, which is in the middle of the desert, modern-day Jordan. I brought a, a picture of it along here, okay? This is what it looks like, all right? It's desolate, it's barren, it's awful. You can go there today and go and see it. John, who used to live a very wild life, living off the land, okay, now he's chained up in a very hot prison, suffering and effectively rotting away because he told the truth, okay? And now John is in a meantime moment where he's wondering where God went, specifically where the Son of God went, wondering if Jesus even cares if Jesus was angry at him, if Jesus um, was just absent, completely just didn't care, did God care for him? For, for John the Baptist, God, in his meantime moment, felt very far away. And to be honest with you, it's pretty bad because God was actually farther away. I'll explain. If you look at a map, okay, here's uh, Machaerus down here, okay, in modern-day Jordan, all right? And, and uh, Jesus, when he finds out that John the Baptist was in prison, was up here in Nazareth, right here, okay? And so you would think, is John the Baptist's best bud, um, he would maybe go down and visit Machaerus, visit him in prison or something like that, but he doesn't. When John, Matthew does this, when, when, excuse me, when Jesus finds out, he goes farther away from John up to Capernaum. 
right here by the Golan Heights. And that may be familiar to you from the 1960s. There's a six-day war between Jerusalem and the Arab world, or Israel, excuse me, and, and the Arab world. And it's right there on the banks of the Sea of Galilee. And so he's wondering if God is farther away, and literally God has moved farther away. Can you imagine how John felt? I want to show you real quick. This is the view from Machaerus. This is John's view. Then I want to show you Jesus' view from Capernaum. Jesus was literally at the beach, minus the umbrellas. He didn't, he didn't just sit there, right? I mean, he was healing people. He was making a difference in people's lives. But Jesus was literally on the beach while John was riding away in a very hot prison and suffering. And it's kind of like, Jesus, the optics aren't very good right now. And so when the men came to Jesus, when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you. Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? In other words, okay, something we're all very familiar with, we prayed, and there was nothing. Our hearts were broken, and there was nothing. And you sit there, and you wonder, Jesus, are you really the one? Are you really worth following? Do you really love me as I'm sitting in this meantime moment, suffering, grieving, afraid, doubting, and very alone? This is essentially what John is saying to Jesus. Are you there? Do you care? Are you really the Son of God? Because right now, it doesn't feel like it. It certainly doesn't feel like it. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to give you permission to do something perhaps you've done a lot, but you've done in secret. You haven't shared it with anybody, especially not your pastor. I want to give you permission in meantime moments and in your life to ask that question. Jesus, are you the one? I'm sitting here, and I'm suffering, I'm in pain, I am sad at the loss or the thing, situation that I am going through, and I'm going to be honest with you, Jesus, one-on-one, are you really my Savior? Because right now, it's tough to think so. And I think in the church, we have made it such a sterile environment where it is not safe to question. But if John the Baptist can question the Son of God, then I think it is reasonable for us to be vulnerable and ask the question too. Because Jesus literally says, a few verses later, I think it's in verse 28, Jesus says of John the Baptist, as John is sitting in prison, he is one of the greatest men who ever lived. If Jesus says that about John, yet John is in prison suffering, soon to be beheaded, I think it is fair for us to, too, sit there and say, Jesus, are you really there? It's okay. It's okay to ask, are you the one? At least in this church community. Can't speak for all of them, but at least in this one. Also because it's fairly biblical. If you've ever read the Bible, there's literally books. There's a book called Lamentations, which is the lament of, of loss and the lament of God. 
or two-thirds of the book of Psalms is lamenting, is sadness, is grief, is screaming out to God. Job, the whole book of Job, we're going to get into Job. Job literally yells at God in his suffering and his pain. But I think we think that if we do that, we're somehow doing something wrong to God, or we are wrong for directing our anger at God. And I just want to let you know, God will be okay. When you turn to God and you say, are you really, Jesus really the one, is Jesus really my Savior? God will be fine. He's a pretty tough cookie. You can even yell at him. You can even plead with your heavenly Father. And he will be fine. Because he is a good father. And he is a loving father. But here's the catch. If you don't yell it, if you don't have an honest conversation with God about where you are, God will be fine, but you may not be. You may end up just sweeping another one. You may end up just trying to get busy so you can avoid it. You may end up try, trying to get into um, uh, distractions or, or um, uh, uh, medicine or, or uh, drugs or alcohol or just something to numb the pain because you feel like it is weak. You feel like it is too vulnerable for you to be honest with your Heavenly Father. But you also know that if you aren't, you will probably not be fine. And I think that is one powerful lesson we can learn from John. That we can actually ask in all honesty, share our doubts with our Heavenly Father, even be upset with Him through seasons of our lives. So John, the man who baptized Jesus, said Jesus was the one, shares his heart, and says, I have doubts. Are you there? Are you really the one? At that time, Luke says in in chapter 7, or verse 21 through 22, he says, at that time, uh, at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases. So, so John's in prison. Jesus is out there curing people of sickness and evil spirits and gave them sight to those who were blind. And so he turned to the messengers and he said, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. Not just what you hear that I'm doing, but what you're seeing that I'm doing, healing people and caring for people. Tell him, tell him that essentially, yes, I am the one. Tell him, The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have been in leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Yes, I am the one. And yes, I'm making a difference. And yes, you can trust me. But I think that's the moment where John kind of sticks up his hand and says, yeah, but it's great you're doing it for all those people, but what about me? And then Jesus hits us with a verse that I think at least when I first read it, broke my assumptions about God. Broke my Sunday school version of God and maybe the version of God that you grew up to. He said, blessed, Jesus is saying this, blessed is anyone, not just some people, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. In other words, if my actions, Jesus, if my actions lead you to stumble, or my lack of actions lead you to stumble, because they may. Think about that. That is so big. That Jesus is saying that the reason you may be tempted to struggle with your faith is Jesus. 
The reason you may walk away from Jesus is Jesus. I don't know about you. To me, that feels more real. Because I think we get this idea that, well, when we follow Jesus, it's all going to be okay, and Jesus is going to lead the path to righteousness and glory, and it's all going to be perfect, and if we just dedicate enough of ourselves, it'll all just be fine. Jesus is like, no, no, no. There are moments where you're going to stumble. But blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And I think this is the most powerful thing. Jesus acknowledges that there are stumble-worthy situations in our lives. There are stumble-worthy situations in our lives. Now, I just want to highlight, for some of you, next slide, some of you, you may struggle with this, this thing right here. You may sit there and you're like, no, 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 there is no stumble situations, especially guys, you know, we sit there, oh, I'm a man, you know, and I'm going to overcome, and I'm going to, no pain, no gain, you know, I'm sad, but I'll, I'll move on, I'll get over it, I'll get past it, I'll explain it, I'll cover it up, I'll buy stuff, I'll get distracted. Jesus says, no, 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 time out. There are things in your life that are worthy of you potentially stumbling. There are losses and pain in your life that are worthy of you stumbling. I know um, there was a time uh, when I was first starting to drive. I was going down the interstate, and there's a UPS truck, and he's merging on. Okay, he does not see me, and he starts rolling into my lane. He essentially pushes me off. I'm like 14, 15 years old with my learner's permit. My mom's in the other seat, okay? And I get pushed off the highway, and I am panicked. If you've ever had a near miss or a near, like, disastrous wreck, you're sitting there, and you're like, oh my gosh, I am about to stumble. And Jesus is saying, listen, you got to stop. And be honest with the moments in your life that are stumble-worthy. Don't rush by it. Because if you do, you have missed something, and it will haunt you, and it will sit there, and that meantime moment will scratch at your heart, your soul, maybe for the rest of your life if you don't talk about it. Because it's just not going to go away magically. It isn't. There are stumble-worthy situations in your life, but... It's not worth stumbling. In other words, what he's saying is there are situations where you can cry. That it is worth being sad. It is worth being angry at your heavenly Father. But it is not worth stumbling. It is not worth walking away from loving your neighbor and loving God is not worth treating people differently just because you are suffering is essentially what he's saying. You can be sad and not stumble. You can be in pain. You can ask questions, but not stumble. See, the whole time John was in prison, Jesus knew John's name. The whole time. Jesus knew his name. Jesus can still care even though Jesus is not there. And Jesus is saying, there are situations that are worthy of you stumbling, but this is not one of them. And maybe, for some of you, you haven't talked to God in a long time. And so this is going to be difficult for you to process through. But you can talk to Him and share with Him the situations that are worthy of stumbling. 
so that he can help you to not stumble in spite of that. My goal this morning is not to solve all your problems. I probably can't. Some of these meantime moments are more profound than 40 minutes standing up here. But I hope at the very least, you have a new perspective. I hope I have maybe created a new category for you to look at these moments of life and say, you know what? It is okay to feel the way that I feel. It is okay to communicate, maybe even if you're part of a small group, to communicate with my group how I feel. That is why we believe life is better together. That just because Jesus doesn't come running doesn't mean he doesn't care. Or that he's absent or apathetic or angry. In fact, he knows your name even in your suffering. Blessed are those who are sad, but don't walk away because of their sadness. Blessed are those who hurt and mourn, but don't stumble and walk away from the one who created them and loves them so deeply. And that's my hope for you. As we jump into the series, as we tease this out over the next couple weeks, that you would be okay with not being okay. That you would be okay having a conversation with God about the deepest hurts that you have. I'm going to um, pray, and then we're going to do offering, but then we're going to come back to this in our last song, and we're going to come back to it, uh, a song that some of you have been pestering me about for a while, um, and we're finally going to sing it because I think it's so appropriate, but here is the beginning of this song. The first verse says this, all this pain, I wonder if I'll ever find a way. I wonder if my life could really change at all. To me, as I was stewing on this last night, it really felt like it was a prayer. And maybe for some of you, it needs to be a prayer of honesty, of stumble-worthiness to say, there's a lot of pain. And I'm not sure I'm ever going to find a way out. And I'm just going to lift this prayer up to my Heavenly Father. Because, as the song goes... And as we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks, God has an incredible ability of making a beautiful thing come out of even the worst of circumstances. A beautiful thing happen out of nothing, or certainly what we feel like is nothing. So if you would, bow your heads with me, and uh, we're going to pray, and then we're going to sing um, one more song together. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, my prayer is simple and quick, that this morning, for those of us in, in this room who are going through a meantime moment, um, that we would not lose sight of who you are, but we would be honest with where we are. We would look at you and say, you know what, God, I don't believe I deserve this. I don't believe that I need to be here, and I'm hurting, and I am suffering, and I'm just going to be honest and throw that out there, God. And are you there? Is Jesus, my Savior, really who he says he was? Who, who Pastor Taylor says that he is? 
or in the future as we go into meantime seasons of life, that we would stop, maybe as a couple for those of us who are with someone, that we would stop and we would say together, this is stumble-worthy, and I'm hurting, and we're hurting. But God, please help. Please listen. And even when you don't, we will trust, and we will be faithful. Because we believe there's maybe something greater. Not ideal, but greater. Jesus, I pray this in your name. Amen.